0: Welcome to this episode of the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, for many people, fitness is the side hustle. There are a lot of fitness instructors and personal trainers who have jobs in other careers or other career fields, and they maybe teach a couple classes or train a couple clients because a they enjoy it and because b it's good extra money. Now, for a lot of us, fitness is our full-time job. Yet. We still need to find a little side hustle, right? As much as we love fitness, you might be a great instructor and you might be a phenomenal personal trainer, but we can all use a little extra money. And if you are a fitness, you know, if you are a fitness professional, whether you're a trainer or instructor, one of the best side hustles you can do is write. You can write blogs, you can write articles. On this episode of the Empowered Entrepreneur, what we want to do is help you increase your ability to earn money in the fitness industry. So I sat down with Amanda Vogel. Amanda is a well-known writer in the fitness industry who not only writes, she writes for articles like Idea Fitness Journal. She writes for the American Council on Exercise Certified magazine. She writes for Oxygen. She writes for a number of magazines, both in the fitness industry and for general consumers. But what Amanda does as well that you may not know is Amanda teaches people how to be fitness writers. So, on this episode of The Empowered Entrepreneur, Amanda and I talk about writing, what you need to do to become a writer, and how you can start shopping your ideas out there so that you can start that little side hustle by becoming a fitness writer as well as an instructor and a trainer. On this episode of The Idea Empowered Entrepreneur, it's a lot of fun to sit down and talk about the business of fitness writing with Amanda Vogel. I'm Pete McCall, the idea empowered entrepreneur, and I'm speaking today with Amanda Vogel about the business of fitness writing. How are you doing today, Amanda? I'm good, thanks. And what exactly for listeners, I mean, you're a well known I've known your name for years. And that's kind of for listeners, the fun thing is I read Amanda I've been reading your work for years, Amanda. So it's been fun to become friends in the past few years. How long have you been a writer in the fitness industry?
1: Ooh, I've been a. <laughs> Thanks, first of all, for reading my writing. I do appreciate that. I have been a writer in the fitness industry for a long time. I'm going to say about 20 years. I started writing um, seriously for the fitness industry after I finished my master's degree. So yeah, that was, uh, I'm going to date myself, but that was way back in the late 90s.
0: Well, wait, 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 wait. that when the year started with a one and what was your master? Was your master's degree English or was it in exercise science?
1: It was in human kinetics, master of arts degree in human kinetics.
0: How did they do a master of arts degree? I mean, that's interesting. Was you, were you a dance movement background or? No,
1: no, it was more like on the managerial uh, sort of uh, sociology side of human movement. So um, my master's thesis was body
0: image in the role of the fitness instructor. And I know it's been a big that's awesome. I didn't realize you did your thesis on that because I know yeah. it's been a big theme. So how did you get started? And, and Amanda, you did that years ago before there are a number of blogs and online, you know, online journals and online resources. Yeah. How did you get your start in the writing side of the fitness industry?
1: Well, actually, it came right out of my master's thesis. So uh, when I finished my thesis, I thought, well, there's some interesting content here about body image and the role of the fitness instructor. I would love to be able to share that with my fitness community, my, uh, you know, fitness professional peers. And so I started looking into how do I write articles? I didn't have the slightest idea, no clue whatsoever. Um, So I ended up going to library, getting out a bunch of books about how to become a freelance writer. They were all, a lot of them were actually not super encouraging. A lot of them said it's very competitive. Most people don't make it. (laughs) Um, But I didn't listen to that and kind of followed the advice in there. I really wish that I'd had some of the resources that we have today in terms of getting started with how to pitch magazines and how to break into fitness writing or any writing whatsoever. Um, And that's kind of how it started. I started small writing for kind of uh, smaller fitness trade magazines or local newspapers, local magazines about my research findings and about body image, about fitness, about kind of just the things that I felt like I knew really well uh, to do with fitness and what I knew uh, as being a fitness instructor, but then obviously since then in 20 years, I've branched out quite a bit.
0: And so, and let me take a step back because before you were a writer, I mean, and you are, and are you in a, you're still currently an instructor, right? But you have a background. Were you an instructor or a trainer?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, instructor group exercise. Okay. Yeah. And are you still doing group fitness? You still yeah. teach group fitness classes? Ooh, indeed. Yep. Yeah. It's funny. What's your favorite format to teach?
1: I teach hit right now. And that's my favorite format. It's, it's uh it's a fun, uh, format to teach. It's very rewarding to coach, and it doesn't take a lot of prep time.
0: Okay, and that's and that's good for people to know because you still have. I think it's important for people to realize that writers, when writers still have their foot in in the water as a practitioner, yeah, and, and that's important that you've been able to do that. So let's let's go back now to when you started to become a writer because nowadays people can just start a blog and become their own writer. What is the yeah. process? Talk about the process of, of the pitch and the pitch letter. What is that process of how you you prepare or you present your idea to an editor who you want to sell it to.
1: Okay, so this is uh, assuming someone wants to write an article for a magazine or it could even be a website or even a blog post. So there's lots of opportunity to do guest blogging it doesn't have to necessarily be blogging on a blog that you own. So in order to pitch An idea. And and notice I said idea. I never suggest or rarely suggest. It would be unusual for somebody to actually write an entire article and send that off to an editor. The standard way to do it is with what's called a pitch letter, pitch email, or a query, um, where you basically just try to sell the idea of what you want to write about to the editor. And that's useful in a number of ways. One, editors do not have a ton of time or interest in reading a bunch of articles that come in. it's just, that's just way too time consuming for them. And it's also too time consuming for you to write an entire article and then hope somebody buys it. Um, It's a lot easier to actually just condense it into what the idea is that you want to write about. And two, it's, I mean, honestly, that's just the standard way. That's how editors expect to receive pitches. So it will help you look more professional if you send a pitch with an idea laid out in the proper format as opposed to here's a long 2000 word article I'm wondering if you would like to publish it which is
0: unusual and not how most editors would expect to receive the content and have you come up with a formula for yourself and, and I don't want you I'm not asking you to reveal the secret sauce but <laughs> in your experience have you come up with like any little hints that you could or tips that you give somebody writing a query letter That might get it from the "Eh, let me think about it pile to let me reach out to this person and engage them and bring them on for a contract
1: yeah sure i mean so i've i've created an entire product which is called how to write winning queries and it's specifically for aspiring fitness writers and fitness professionals where i kind of lay out exactly everything you need to know but since you ask about the secret sauce i'll give you one uh little bit of advice that is in that product and it is to make sure that you are providing enough detail in the query or the pitch letter so that the editor can really visualize what the blog post or the web article or the magazine article is going to look like. And I don't mean like the layout in terms of the color of the headline or what pictures would be in there or anything like that. I mean... In their head, they're going to get an understanding of how you would like to organize the piece. That's incredibly important because a lot of times people will go wrong. They think, well, okay, they want the idea of the article and they'll keep it so vague that the editor won't really have any sense whatsoever what you want to write about. Like I could, let's say you're an editor, Pete, and I send you a query and I say, uh, you know what, I'm teaching fitness classes right now. I teach a hit class. It's my favorite type of class to teach. I would like to write an article for your magazine or your blog about hit training well that in itself is is really just the foundation of an idea but it isn't actually anything that's a focused topic so it's just very broad in general but it's not going to really give the editor a specific idea of the direction or the organization of the article or blog
0: post when it's done that's, that's good to know and i think because i think people need to know that there needs to be what we call a hook, right? I mean, yeah. and could you describe exactly what a hook is? Cause that's a, Cause yeah, you're right. It's one thing to write about hit, but why are you writing about hit? What, what, what is a hook and and why is that so important?
1: The hook is basically um, answers the question. Why now, why do we want to write about this topic right at this particular moment? So a hook is a way to kind of grab the attention first of an editor in a query. And then secondly, um, the attention of the reader when uh, that article gets published in a magazine or a blog post. So um, a hook could be anything from a seasonal topic. So we're coming around to the things we come around to every year, summer, winter holidays, back to school, any of that kind of stuff could be part of the hook. It could be a new piece of research that's just come out to suggest something we didn't know before about hit training or a new piece of uh, development to do with how hit training might be more effective or less effective. All of those kinds of things that answer the why now uh, are, would really be considered good hooks.
0: And that's, I mean, that's really important because, and just for listeners, you know, as a writer myself, that's the one thing I always kind of look at is like, what's going to make this piece different? Why should anybody listen to this or pay attention to this, you know, because that really, because think about it, what, and as a reader, Amanda, let's talk about this for a second as a reader. And as someone who consumes, consumes content, what's going to get your attention. And I'm not just talking about from a writer standpoint, but just from a a young woman who's a fitness enthusiast, what catches your attention when you're scrolling through the inner tubes on your own time? So
1: (laughs) that's a tough one, almost when it comes to fitness writing, because what I'm going to say is, um, content that I haven't seen a million times before. And it's going to sound funny for me to say that because actually there's so much fitness and health content out there that we have all seen a million times before. It's just how it ends up being packaged. I, I sort of go into a lot of detail about what packaging is, but it's basically about finding different ways to present the same kind of content to people. Uh, But when you are thinking about pitching anything or even writing for your own blog post and what is going to catch people's attention, you really want to consider what hasn't kind of already been done to death. And if it has been done to death, how can I actually find a new angle, a new perspective or a new approach uh, to come at that topic in a way that feels fresh and that maybe people haven't thought about before?
0: And that and that really is key, right? Because I think you know the one of the toughest things, and I've, I have this conversation with with fitness writers quite a bit. Isn't it somewhat redundant? I mean, you can pick, you can go to any any newsstand. You're in Canada, I'm in the states. We can go to any newsstand, and almost every month, Amanda, the fitness magazines are going to have the same articles. Yeah, women's magazines will talk about the butt, thighs, and abs. Men's magazines will talk about the arms, chest, and abs. I mean, right? I mean that that's one of the, the traps that we get into. Yep. So it is in your mind, what can people do? Like, how can people do something different? I mean, what is, is there, is there a secret to being creative or is that something that just is whether you have it or you don't?
1: No, it's what I alluded to earlier. It's it's all about packaging. It's how you present the content in different types of ways. So um, I've written about, I've written about high intensity interval training in many different ways, but it's usually within a slightly different context or it's repackaged. So it might be, 10 tips, blah, blah, blah. It could be, uh, how to run faster. And then of course I'm incorporating the idea of interval training into that. It could be, um, you know, how to amp up your workout program at home. Again, you're going to bring interval training into that. So there's lots of different ways to kind of what's called repackaging in the world of magazines so that it, it appears different. And I actually love the concept of packaging. It's one of the things that I've loved uh, and has sustained me over the years with writing is that creativity aspect. You use the word creativity, uh, just figuring out different ways to teach people about health and fitness and educate them on what is the, kind of the the best ways to to get people moving. But there's such a creative component to it that comes even before
0: you start writing. And that really is, you know, and and that's been one. Of, that was one of my challenges, you know, as I transition and, and did a lot of writing or have done more writing is when I first started, Amanda, I would always try to put too much information out there. And mm. it's really been yeah. over the course of, of working with editors like yourself. And I don't know if you've ever edited, we've talked about it, but I don't know if you've ever edited, edited any of my work specifically, but I love a good editor because they make me realize that less is more. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit about the process of how do you, of how do you choose your words? Because you don't need to use a lot of words to make a point.
1: No, you don't. And that is a, sort of a, it's a very common for people to try to use as many words as possible or they'll say, uh, Oh, I, you know, I need this pared down. It's too long, but I needed to say everything that was in there. But then when you go in and edit, oftentimes you can cut a, some, you know, a substantial amount out of it and still says exactly what the person needed to say. So I don't think I've edited your work either, but, um, I have found for myself over the years working with many editors at different magazines, it's one of the best ways to learn how to write better. So whenever I get a piece back from an editor, and sometimes it can actually be discouraging if, you know, it's full of, uh, red marks and track. (laughs) And you're like, Oh, they really really (laughs) the town on this. Um, but it's a great way to just sort of spend some time looking at how did this editor, uh, Change, edit the content. And I'll tell you that, first of all, as a writer, you're allowed to not necessarily agree with the edit. And most editors and most good publications will allow you to express uh, a difference of opinion on an edit. And also, it doesn't mean necessarily that how an editor has edited your content means that the way you wrote it was bad. It's just that maybe they had a different preference. But when you get a great editor and you can see how they've just cut out little words here and there, rearranged things, tightened uh, a paragraph or tightened a sentence, and you go, yeah, why didn't I think of that? Exactly. And each little step that you look at with a new article or blog post that's been edited, it just makes you a better writer if you take the time to absorb why the editor changed what he or she did, and how it makes the writing better. But and as she, you said, you don't have to agree with every single edit that goes out there. You also should have the right to say uh, difference of opinion, and I'd like this to go back. And here's why.
0: And, and see, I, for someone, I my under, my undergraduate degree was economics and government, so I did a lot of writing in that program, but mm-hmm. not about fitness, and I wasn't specifically getting getting a lot of feedback on on writing English. And that's why, I, you know, for listeners, I love the editing process because there are often times where I'm like, man, I didn't, you know, I've learned how not to take it critically. And I look at editors, they make, as a writer, they make you sound better
1: Yeah. because
0: I, I, you know, as a writer, you're sitting there thinking, you know, when you're writing something, it makes sense in your brain. You know, it makes sense in my brain, my thought process, but when I put it out on paper, it might not flow. And what I love about the editing process is editors will see what you're trying to say and be able to winnow it down to exactly what you're trying to say. And the reason why I say that, Amanda, is I don't want listeners to sit there and like, okay, I want to be a fitness writer. I know what I'm doing. I have a voice. I'm trying, I want to be sure about it because I think you can agree with me on this. The way to make your career very, very, very short is to start (laughs) arguing with the editors you submit your your, your, your pieces to, correct?
1: Yes, but (laughs) I, I still maintain that if there's something that like, for example, editors might sometimes use terminology, wording, a turn of phrase, uh, whatever in your piece that just doesn't sound like you. And in an open and professional uh, relationship between a writer and an editor, you should be able to professionally go back and say, you know what? I, that just doesn't sound like me. I would never write that or say that. Can we change it to something else? And in, most times an editor will say, sure, no problem. But if you're starting to pick at little things here and there and question their role as an editor, then you're absolutely right, Pete. That's You're probably not going to get repeat work from that.
0: And how would you, so let's take a step back. I mean, and, and you said that, so if you had a piece and if I were your editor and, and I sent something back and you said, yeah, I don't agree with that, Pete, what in your, in your opinion, what's the best and most professional way to kind of push back against an editor who's changed, changed your work a little bit?
1: Uh, I would say, first of all, pick your battles. So don't go through the entire thing and say, no, 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 no. I don't want you to just find the things that feel maybe inauthentic to how you might say them. Or even, I'm going to be honest with you, um, when you're writing for some consumer publications and you're working with an editor, even someone who has the title fitness editor, they might not have a ton of fitness backgrounds. Sometimes they do, which is fantastic. Sometimes they don't. And so they might end up editing content that has specifically to do with workouts or physiology and they get it a little bit wrong in terms of fact. So that would be a situation where you'd want to go in and say, uh, let's tweak this a little bit so that it comes a little bit back toward exactly what I was trying to get across because this is not exactly accurate. Um, But you just do it professionally like you would with anything else. You're not accusatory. You don't go in there and say you're wrong. Uh, You don't know what you're talking about. You just say this might be a better way to word it because of this. And then you maybe would have to explain something in terms of physiology or something to do with the exercise programming in, in that particular case, or uh, just be totally outright and say, to be honest, I would never say something like that. It just doesn't feel authentic to,
0: to me as a writer. Yeah. And I think that's, that's important advice because I think people need to feel comfortable that their, their piece represents their voice. Yeah. And now let's take, let's have a little conversation here. Cause again, this is a mistake that I made, and I'll, I'll go into it in a couple minutes here. But how would you define, Amanda? How would you d- define or describe the difference between like a blog and a feature and then a full length article? Like, I, there are a couple different things, and I, maybe I'm not using feature the right way, but I guess I'm thinking of there are, different, there are three different categories. You have a blog, you have a full length feature article, but then you have that intermediate category that's like a page, maybe a half a page, that's a couple columns that just kind of is covering one piece, piece of information. What are the differences between those type of that type of content that people can think about in terms of preparation?
1: Right. So that's a good question. A lot of it has to do with just how much do you feel like you have to say. So sometimes people go a little bit wrong because they either have a ton of content and ideas uh, in their query or their pitch letter. That's not going to fit into the space that they're suggesting in a magazine, for example, like if it's just a one-page thing. There's just too much to pack into one page or even one blog post. Um, On the flip side of that, sometimes people have... What would be better as a short blog post or just a one pager and ends up, but they're suggesting I would like to do a feature article that might be two, 3000 words, uh, but they wouldn't necessarily have the content or um, the ideas to sustain or to um, justify having that much space or that much word count for an entire feature.
0: And that's where I went and see the reason why I asked that question is because when I was first starting to write blogs for the American Council on Exercise, I would approach them more as a full-length article. And that's where the editors would kind of hit me in the head a few times and be like, no, dude, this, it's a blog. You're not really trying to write, you know, a thing. And it took me a little while to get used to like the top five things you need to know about this or the top seven things to know about that. How do you feel about that style of blog? You know, where it's just... because when I first started, to be a hundred percent honest, I felt it was a little fluffy. But now that I've been writing that way for a while, I really like it because it allows you to get into the meat of it. What's yeah. your reaction to like those type of blogs that like the top blank things you need to know about core training or whatever? What's your what's you know kind of what's your thought about those blogs of of how the, how effective they are?
1: Yeah, well, actually, I love them. I love <laughs> them. They're they're easy to write. Um, and as a reader, they're easy to read. Haven't you ever looked at one of those tips? They call them the magazine industry. They call these listicles, okay? It's an article that's basically a list, top 10 tips or whatever. Haven't you ever looked at a listicle and just like skipped down every subhead to see point one, point two, point three? And then if there's one that, that you hadn't thought about before, seems fresh and new, then you stop and start reading. Otherwise, you're just kind of jumping your way down. Uh, I mean, that's the way a lot of people consume content right now. They've always been uh, something that I've enjoyed writing, whether it's for magazines or blog posts. And I think that, you know, you kind of touched on it when you were explaining blogging for ACE. One of the ways that people get into trouble is with those kinds of uh, formats is thinking or trying to write everything that they know on a particular topic in that space. And really blog posts and especially listicles They're not meant or intended in any way for you to convey everything you know on a particular topic. You will get exhausted and totally overwhelmed trying to do that. It's really just about kind of touching on some major points. And like you said, it kind of helped you just get right to the point. So if you're writing a listicle and you've got seven points you need to cover about a particular topic, you're going to really think about how do I get right to the the heart of the matter immediately with each point rather than kind of spending your time um maybe expanding beyond what it needs to or writing more words than you really need to so keeping it kind of short brief and as to the point as you possibly can
0: and and for listeners i have amanda i I agree with you a thousand percent when i first started that i was like i had the chip on my shoulder i was like no i'm an educator i need to tell people more but as i started adapting that style I love it. I mean, I love that style and you're right because a blog, a blog to me is meant, it's kind of like an appetizer or kind of like an amuse-bouche. It's meant to kind of get your appetite started. And and I think of a blog is I want readers to get interested in learning more about a topic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? And even if they don't pursue uh, any avenue to learn more about a topic, you might end up just giving them a tip or two that they hadn't thought about that they can actually go and implement right away. Like, uh, I'm thinking of one example I wrote a few years ago for the ACE blog, uh, something about uh, it was a listicle like eight, seven, eight, nine, whatever uh, things that you should do after every workout, right? And one of them was wash your hands. And somebody had come up to me afterwards and said, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I don't always think to do that, but that is something that I should do after every workout in the gym before I leave. So just these little kind of actionable steps can help people improve their health and fitness in ways that you might not imagine because you're writing it thinking, well, I can't really get into too much detail. But sometimes people don't want or need a lot of detail. They just need a little nudge or a reminder about what to do better.
0: Now, and let me ask you, so we have, when we're looking at this, we have people can, can, can pitch, can write a pitch or write a query letter to try to sell a full article. They can work with a company to, to write a blog for a company, but then people could also start their own blog, right? If somebody wanted to write a, write their own blog about fitness or health or wellness. Do you have any tips or advice for people that might want to do that? That might want to create a blog for, for whatever audience they might be trying to reach?
1: Yeah. So, um, a couple of tips. One is to think about what's what exactly do you want the blog to be about? And it will be really hard if you say, I want the blog to be about living a healthier lifestyle or fitness, because again, those are really broad. I mean, that's a great foundation, but I think in order to kind of find your space on the internet and in the world of blogging, you got to narrow it down to something that's a little bit more specific. So for example, my blog, fitnesstestdrive.com, it's specifically about testing out and reviewing health, fitness, wellness products and programs from my perspective as a professional magazine writer and fitness expert. So that's kind of what I do. Now, I might pull in other things here and there, but that's generally what the blog is about. So uh, if a fitness professional, for example, wants to start a blog, probably one of the obvious things to do would be well, what's your specialization now in real life what do you tend to uh specialize with in terms of training types of training or type of clientele that might be obviously something that would work really well with your blog and then of course be consistent with your real life audience Uh, or audience in real life and also your blog audience. So they kind of uh, be interchangeable in that way. So making sure that you really narrow it down enough so it isn't just kind of all over the place because when a blog tends to be all over the place, then it's hard to appeal to any one audience, right? You've got to kind of pull people in with a specific interest or specialization. And then the second thing I would say is just be really Real with yourself about how consistent you can be with a blog. You don't have to write really long blog posts that go on forever or take you a lot of time to write. You can write things that are actually pretty quick, a few hundred words at a time. As long as you kind of maintain the blog and keep it going, then you're going to feel some type of success. Because the last thing you want to do is kind of have aspirations to start a blog and then it sits there without any you know without you posting to it for a long time and then it becomes one of those burdens that's on your to-do list all the time. Oh, I have to post to my blog and then you never kind of do it and then you feel guilty about it. So, just being real real about how consistent you can be with your own blog.
0: And that and that's great advice. And and I would recommend to people kind of take that a step further is if people do have an aspiration or do want to write professionally, definitely start with your own blog and find out what works and doesn't work there. Is it? Would you agree with that? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. In fact, you know, one of the things oftentimes when you pitch to an editor, they want to see, well, what else have you written, right? They want to see published content that you've written before so they can get a sense of your voice and your style and all the rest of it, your writing skills. So if you don't already have that, um, then having your own blog is, is something that you can point editors to and say, this is what I've been writing. And in some ways, it's almost more helpful for the editor because uh, the assumption would be that no one else has edited. Like that's the raw writing. That's your writing skills. It's not like an editor has come in and fixed it at all. So um, it can be really useful in that way, just to kind of point people in the direction of uh, sort of a, as if it's a portfolio. Here are examples of what I've written before.
0: And that, and that's a great thing. So I think, I think online having a blog can be that showcase for new people. Now, the final thing, well, um, the next last thing, <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to show, we don't need to talk too much about what each of us do, but the question I would have is could somebody legitimately make a full-time living as a fitness writer? Because for, for listeners, you know, once you get your feature, you know, it's not like the money rolls in. Yes. It's great to get your name in the magazine. Yes. It's great to be writing articles. But I don't think, Amanda, you, you haven't bought your G4 private jet yet, have you? Uh, I have I mine have, on order. I but have, It's on
1: loan right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're writing a magazine. But but just in a ballpark. I mean, you're in Canada, so it's a slightly different – you have a slightly different currency and everything. But just what could somebody – somebody who wants to start out and, and get into fitness riding, what could they realistically expect to make – per like a blog post or if they were able to sell an article or two?
1: Right. That's a good question. And just to clarify, most of my clients are in the U.S. So I, I am writing mostly for U.S. publications. Now, uh, I, I I present a workshop that is about finished writing and people always want to know, well, how much can I expect to make? So I have a particular slide that shows people. And the range is this. It's anywhere from, well, free, zero dollars. <laughs> right? <laughs> let's start somewhere. So it's anywhere from like 15, 20, 25 cents a word to two bucks a word. And 15, 20, 25 cents a word is really low. I would always recommend people try for higher than that. And $2 a word is really high. So, and I say really high, um, with the caveat that the, um, industry standard for what freelancers are paid for writing magazine articles hasn't changed much in decades uh two dollars a word when i first started freelance writing back in you know 20 years ago that was a great rate then and it's still considered one of the more higher rates now so yeah it's not um It's not something that kind of moves with the time very much. Having said that, if you're writing a 2000 word article at $2 a word, which I'll be honest is somewhat unusual these days, you're not going to find that in trade publications for the most part in the fitness industry ever in the fitness industry, you would find that in consumer magazines. uh, But one of the things that's happened over the course of my time being a freelance writer is I've seen... uh, articles get shorter and shorter. So they used to assign a lot longer. They used to assign, okay, 2,000 words, $2 a word. Okay, that's pretty good as long as it doesn't take you too much time to do and not too many edits. Uh, But magazines are now sort of clipping back on how long articles are. So it would be more likely to get an assignment for a shorter article. And also I would suggest the average rate is far less than two dollars a word.
0: Yeah, and that's a good. I mean, you know, the thing about that is there really is no hard and fast, you know, scale. And, and for listeners, I've written blogs in exchange for products. Like I've had people approach me and say, "Hey, we'd like to write you a blog." And, and of course, one of the first question, "Well, great, how much are you paying?" Mm-hmm. Well, and then as soon as you hear that, well, I don't know about you, Amanda, I haven't done anything for free for a long time. And yeah. and I would recommend that for people that want to get into the business or want to break into the side of writing that maybe you do need to do a few pieces for free, but make sure you're getting something out of that. Are you getting like, are you getting something, not just exposure? Are you getting access to a trade show? Are you getting access to a workshop? Are you getting free product? Because I, I, I will tell you, I do nothing now for free unless it's for a friend and I'm helping a friend. But when yeah. it comes to an organization that has a budget, the answer is negative. And when I get asked to write something, my first response is, what's the pay?
1: Yep, and if they don't mention pay, they're probably not intending to pay you. So never make assumptions that you're going to get paid. And you're absolutely right. You need if it's there's no pay, there needs to be a really strong benefit to you in terms of what you get in return. But I've talked to so many fitness professionals who say they get caught writing for the same blog uh, for months or years. You know, they've got a column and they've been writing it for free forever. And at what point, like I say. Okay, you've been writing this thing for a year already, every week or every month. What additional exposure are you really going to get beyond this? You know, you've probably gotten what you need to get out of it by now and probably long ago. So you've got to be really careful if you are going to accept something for free, how long it's really going to be beneficial for you. I mean, put it on your resume once and it's there. Now, it might be a different story if someone is a trainer in their local community and they're writing something for a local website or magazine and they're getting a lot of indirect uh, payment through new clients coming in. That might be something that you say, yeah, I want to keep doing it for that reason. Uh, But if none of that is really happening and you've already kind of reached the point of exposure, uh, you know, in terms of people getting to know your name or getting to see your columns, it's probably time to move on. And that whole uh, writing for exposure thing, I mean, you get exposure real fast.
0: You don't need to keep doing it for very long and if you know how to use social media correctly you can very yeah. easily amplify that exposure quickly yeah. now to wrap it up amanda i know you've done you've alluded to you've alluded to your, your fitness test drive website and i know that you've been you're you've been doing this for years and i know you've also evolved now where you're teaching other people how to be fitness writers can you explain a little bit about what you're doing now
1: yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's a couple of different avenues. I'm working on a new website right now. I've taken, I had a website before that I've just taken down because I'm updating everything. So, fitnesswriter.com is the new website. Also, activevoice.ca will take people to the same place. Um, what I'm doing is updating some products that I offer to aspiring fitness writers and fitness professionals about one, just how to break into fitness writing in the first place and every step that you need to know about writing those query letters, understanding how to go beyond just like, uh, putting a, a really broad idea down into a pitch letter or a query and making it packaged and organized in a way that's going to appeal to an editor. And then I have a second product as well. So once you've kind of figured out how to break into blog post writing and uh, magazine writing, there's a second product that I offer called Anatomy of an Article that really kind of breaks down how to teach people. Um, effective writing how to take a piece of writing that you already have or that you're working on and make it more effective and there's usually a lot of different tricks uh and techniques that come into play that once you know what they are it's al- it's almost formulaic then it makes the writing so much faster and easier and more effective uh, than if you're just sitting there trying to wonder how do I write this piece in a way that's going
0: to make sense but you don't you're not really sure of what the
1: formula is
0: and see, I think that's for listeners. I think you just hit the nail on the head. Once you start doing it for a while, you get into a system, you get into a routine, and then you get an assignment. You know whether you pitch it or whether you know editor reach out, reaches out to you. You have a system that you put it into play. So I know I have my systems that probably make absolutely zero sense to anybody else. But I think just knowing you over the years that you probably have a very structured system that has obviously worked for you. So how can people get more information if they want to learn more about being a fitness writer from someone like yourself who's been doing it for a long time? I don't mean that long, but for someone (laughs) who's been doing it for a bulk of their career, how can somebody learn more about being a fitness writer from from what you've been putting together?
1: Absolutely. So uh, right now, reach out to me through my blog, fitnesstestdrive.com. Uh, also Instagram, Amanda Vogel Fitness on Instagram. And then uh, once you're kind of connected me, with me there, you'll see exactly when my new product and new websites are going to launch at fitnesswriter.com. Uh, again, I'll probably have uh, a few additional pieces in, t- in addition to the ones that I mentioned to do with blogging specifically. And I'm also often
0: at fitness conferences
1: presenting live about fitness writing. So just watch for those as well.
0: Awesome. Well, Amanda, I really appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you, and I hope to cross paths with you in the very near future.
1: Me too. Thanks, Pete.
0: This episode was really a lot of fun for me, and, and I mean it. I said in the beginning, when I was a trainer, when I was an instructor, before I got into education, well, I guess technically I was an educator, but I was working for a health club. But before I became whatever I am now, a presenter, whatever I am now, but when I was a trainer, you before I got into more exposure, Amanda was one of my go-tos. Amanda wrote for the idea, she still writes for the Idea Fitness Journal. Amanda does a lot of writing for the American Council on Exercise. And I mean it, when I've been I've been reading her work, probably for the 20 years that she's been writing it, cause that's about as long as I've been a fitness professional. So I think Amanda and I became friends about four or five years ago. We just sat down. She's interviewed me for a few pieces she's written for both Idea and Ace and we had never really sat down and talked, and so since then, we've become friends, and there really is. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Amanda, and I wanted to have her on this podcast because with the Empowered Entrepreneur, what we're trying to bring you are different ways to enhance your business, right? We've, we've had people on here to tell you how to bring a product to market. I've had people on here talking about how you go from being an instructor to being an executive. Well, writing is one important component of fitness, that there's always a need out there. You know, think about those magazine articles you're always reading. I know I always read them, and I thought maybe I could write that stuff too. Well, you know what? You just have to try. Sometimes you have to just go out there and do it. Honestly, the, the one reason, and I'll say this, probably the primary reason why I did any writing at all was because I worked directly for the American Council on Exercise. You know, before I don't know if I would have had the opportunity to have any exposure to have a voice if I hadn't worked for ACE. But wherever you are, if you own a studio, if you work for a gym, you can start writing for that. You know, you can start uh, offering up a blog a month to the gym. If you have a voice, if you have something you want to say, why not ask your gym, hey, can I write a blog for you? Why not? If you're a studio owner, why not start a blog on your own? Because it's something called content marketing. Look it up. Content marketing is using content like blogs to get people interested in the product you're selling. Well, what are we selling? We're selling fitness. So why not have a blog? Why not start a blog if you would if you know that you want to go after a specific demographic? For example, if you're a young mother yourself and you know you want to work with other young women like yourself, why not start a blog about fitness for young moms? Obviously there are a lot of them out there, but they can always use a different one. And that could be a voice that you know that you have authentic reason for. Or if you're a little bit older, if you're you know over the age of 45 or over the age of 50, over the age of 60. And you're a fitness professional. Why not start a blog about strength training for people over the age of 60, given your experience and your knowledge? And that can relate it back to, hey, if you want more information, come train with me. There are a lot of reasons why you can use blogs. It's not just putting information out there, but it's a way to get people engaged. It's a way to engage your clients. It's a way to engage the people that come to your gym. It's a way to people to engage people to come to your classes. There are a variety of reasons why you might want to start writing blogs or articles, But what we wanted to do was give you a little insight about how you make that happen. Because like I said, fitness in of itself is the ultimate side hustle. You can do this part-time, teach one or two classes a week, or you can do it full-time. And if you do it full-time, writing is one way that you can branch out and become more of an authority figure. That's one of the things writing allows you to do, but it also allows you to tap into other revenue streams and just give you more exposure for what you're trying to do in the fitness industry. If you are, if you do want to learn more about writing, I really highly recommend. I'm going to have a link to Amanda's website down below in the show notes. I highly recommend working with her. You know, Amanda's learned over the years. I've learned through trial and error, and I mean it. I love a good editor. Christine Eckroth is who edits my work for the American Council on Exercise. And, Christine, love you so much. You make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. And I really mean it. If you do any writing, if you get into writing – love your editors, because your editors make you sound much gooder than you probably are. And of course, I said that as a joke. But thanks for tuning in for this I, for this episode of the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur podcast. I'm Pete McCall. I look forward to having you join us for future episodes of the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur.